Untitled Beatles podcast. We know we belong to the land. Oh. <laughs> I love Oklahoma. I saw my high school did it. It was probably one of the first plays I ever saw. Musicals, I should say, that I ever saw. Yeah. Did you hate it? Yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah, it wasn't my thing. <laughs> <laughs> But like the heavy metal drummer that lived in my neighborhood, this guy, Jason, he had a gold sparkle Slingerland kit, double bass. Like I went to his basement and he had like a 28 piece kit down there, but he was in it. I remember he had long hair and I remember he played one of the like hee haw guys. (laughs) One of the hee haw guys. This, This heavy metal drummer was in Oklahoma, not playing Kiss Covers, Beautiful and Stone. Playing Kiss Covers. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. As you as you know, uh, Obvi. <laughs> I'm Tony Mendoza. Yeah, Obvi. Obvi. I'm Shandog. Shandog in the hizzy with Beatles talk till ten. Shandog. Well, today, TJ, we're gonna three, two, one. Well, today, TJ, we are gonna deep dish yet another American album. It looks like we're going chronologically on these, eh? Yeah, we're going chronologically, and all. Oh no, we're technically not because we left out their first double album. So you're right, buzzer there. The Beatles story. You're right. You're yeah. right. And we have covered American Rubber Soul and this kind of a thing. But there was a somewhere around Meet the Beatles. We started kind of uh, deep dishing these things in a slightly American chronological order. My order is American made, born and bred in the <laughs> you remember that commercial? What was that? Was that Wonder Bread? Who did that? I don't know no. that one. Contains no additives, no preservatives. Miller's made the American way. Uh, we are talking about the early Beatles. Uh, yes, the early Beatles. Did you buy this record when you were growing up? This album was given to me right here as a uh, holiday gift by my grandmother, who we called my nanny. And um, yeah, this is a Rainbow Capital copy. And this album uh, was never reissued, Tony. I talk a lot about the C1 catalog, the final vinyl from 88. This yeah. this here, the Rainbow from 83, is the final capital vinyl pressing. For whatever reason, I don't know. Maybe Perry Cox or Bruce Spizer know. Um, uh, <laughs> they're nice, sweet name drop. <laughs> um, yeah, drop. I don't know them. I just read their 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 resources a lot. Um, but yeah, it wasn't included. And they reissued everything on that C1 Purple Capital. Uh, you know, they reissued uh, a Hard Day's Night. They didn't change the catalog number, but still, it was those, that Purple Capital. Oh, label. right, because Capital eventually got that from United Artists. Eventually, right. right? Eventually, but they never did this early Beatles. So this one on the Rainbow Capital from the '80s at the final vinyl pressing. It's still in really good shape. But the cassette of this, I listened to on so many flights. Really, this cassette, yeah, and the running order is different on the cassette. Uh, you know, as one might expect. <laughs> of course. So even though I listen to the album more, this almost felt like a, like a different album because side one begins with Love Me Too. Uh, Love Me Too. It's my favorite <laughs> mashup of a great George Revolver song. <laughs> Love Me Too. 
Yeah, Paul did that. Paul trotted that out in his uh, oh, that's, one of his concerts in the nineties. That's right. It wasn't quite as successful. It was P.S. Love Me Too. He did P.S. Oh. I Love You, Love Me Too, and Love You Too. It was a clusterfuck. P.S. Um, so side two ends with baby, it's you. Um, side one ends with do you want to know a secret? It's just mm. yeah, that's the whole that's, thing's it's it's strange. Side one opens with boys. So this is the early Beatles stuff. This is all their like the first stuff they ever recorded. However, this record did not come out until what is it? March 22nd of 1965. It's the 6th Capitol album. And uh yeah, it only reached number 43 in the charts. It went gold in 1974 and platinum in I don't know how, 1997. Wasn't it out of print? How did it go platinum? The cassette with the apple uh, oh. remained in print. And, uh, this was pressed in '92. Got I it. love this with the apple on the front <laughs> cover. It's really neat because it says the early Beatles with the Beatles for sale back cover and then the apple. It's all incongruous. I love the, the yeah. cassette cover. The last one's great. I searched for this. So why did it take until 1965 for Capital to issue the early music? Right. Do you know the story on all this stuff? I'm sure you do. I, I do. I'd love to hear you detail it, though, because you can do it in 45 <laughs> minutes less time than I can. <laughs> well, it's all about business and contracts and all this crap, right? And my eyes tend to glaze over whenever we start uh, talking about business. I hate Hollyweird. <laughs> yeah, the Hollyweird strings. Shelly Winter smacked a psychic in the face at a Tinseltown bash. Is it true? We'll try and make this pretty concise, yes. but we'll have some fun getting into all these records that were put out before yes. the early Beatles. That's why I want you to get into it. <laughs> well, basically, the, the you know the Beatles are gaining momentum in Britain come 1963. Uh, they've got a number one out there, and uh, with "Please Please Me," not number one by some's assessment. That's why it was left off one. Who, Maureen Cleave? <laughs> Thanks, Mo. <laughs> Different, Maureen. I hear you. I hear you. But uh, it did sell well. The point is they were doing really well in Britain, and Epstein and George Martin are trying to sell capital in the U.S. That's EMI's U.S. partner, trying to sell them on the Beatles. We got this great group, and these, you know... L.A. major label crew cut morons are just like, nah. The Dave, the Dave Dexters of the world. The Dave Dexters in the world. We're just like, no, nah, not enough reverb. You don't know what Americans want. We want songs about hot rods only, and, <laughs> which is true, and I love that hot rod music. In fact, I got the celluloid system on my uh, GTO parked out, out front here. But yeah, so the Capitol didn't want anything to do with the Beatles in 63. Luckily, VJ Records, an indie label. Out of where, Tony? Out of Chicago. Out of Chicago. It was a black independent label owned by Vivian Carter. That's the V. 
and her husband, Jimmy Bracken, that's the J, VJ. So, yeah, they took a chance on it. I think they had the Four Seasons. Uh, and they uh, actually, Frank Ifield had a number one at the time, right? With uh, I'll Remember You. And VJ's like, yeah, let's put out a number one in Britain here in the US, see what it does. And with the Frank Ifield contract, they threw in the Beatles as like gravy, <laughs> you know? Do, do you remember, I think it was in 83 or 84, that killer Shaka Khan tribute to that album, I Field for You? <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, I remember. I distinctly remember Frank Ifield going, Shaka Khan, let me rocky, let me rocky, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, let me rocky. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I remember you. Memory's funny, but I remember that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, VJ ends up putting out the first Beatles music in the United States. They put out Please Please Me. With the Ask Me Why on the flip side is a 45. WLS in Chicago starts playing it, man. Yeah. And it, beca- it breaks top 40. In Chicago land, boy, oh boy, oh boy, there. Uh, yeah, they also put out From Me to You, a thank you girl on the flip. Uh, that reached number 116 on Billboard nationally. It did well in LA, I guess, that yeah. one. Uh, so it was a five-year contract that the Beatles had with VJ. However, uh, come mid-1963, VJ is defaulting on payment of royalties to yeah. Four Seasons, Frank Ifield, and therefore the Beatles. Do you know how much they owed the Beatles? I don't. In royalties? $859. Oh, man. <laughs> That's like eight million with inflation. Seven thousand eight hundred twenty-six dollars and fifty cents. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so that kind of puts the contract that the Beatles have with VJ in this kind of gray area where capital can kind of swoop in and perhaps sign them now that oh, this band actually has a little something going on, turns out. Meanwhile, VJ's just like, hey, the Beatles are kicking ass. Let's put out a full LP of, of it's basically the American version of uh, Please Please Me, the LP in Britain. Yeah. They put it out as introducing the Beatles. Which Capital passed on as well as an LP. Capital yeah. didn't want it at the time. Still didn't want it. That the world never caught on to a craze called Quarryman Mania. All right, so Capital sues VJ, saying, hey, man, we've got the Beatles stuff now. No more putting out, introducing the Beatles, none of that crap. They're t- everything's tied up in the courts. <laughs> Until things are wrapped up with that legally, VJ starts just cranking out Beatles material as the Beatles uh-huh. in 1964 are the hugest thing in the world. And it, Tony, it's all the same stuff. It's basically repackaging, introducing the Beatles almost uh, track by track, running order wise. Some copies of an album you're probably going to mention, uh, uh, songs, pictures, and stories of the Beatles has introducing the Beatles on the label. They yes. were just taking stock and putting it into these different album covers. Yeah. Yeah. They sold the same record like three times, basically. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's the American way. It's born and brewed in the USA. Born and brewed in the USA. 
Yeah, give it to them and they'll buy it. That's what they kept doing. And to VJ's credit, I mean, they sold, each one sold less and less. I've got a bootleg copy. These were really common yeah, in like the 80s. Yeah, what do you 80s. got? I want to see what you got. I don't the, have any of this stuff. This is not a fold-out. I have two copies of Introducing the Beatles that are both bootlegs that I can't find. I don't even call them bootlegs. They're just cheap repros that made their way into like some record stores, the independent yeah. stores, certainly in the 80s. That's where I got these. This is a knockoff. It doesn't have the fold-out of songs and pictures of the fabulous Beatles. It was a. Uh, I've seen a, an original one of these. I don't know if you have Tony, but it folds out. It's got a little kind of gatefold. It's really nice. If you can find one, I don't own one, but the original one of this is really nice. That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. They put out a bunch. Of, they put out a bunch of stuff. I think in in total it was four LPs, ten singles, and an EP. Starting with uh, obviously introducing the Beatles. Then came Jolly What, the Beatles and Frank Ifield mm-hmm. on stage which was two Beatles singles and eight Frank Ifield songs. <laughs> that was in February of 64. And the Beatles songs were not live. The implication no. of on stage, they were the studio versions, you know, in love. I think what they did is they put a picture of Frank. I- there were two different covers, actually. One with a drawing of like a British guy with a mop top. The monocle? <laughs> yeah. Or isn't there one? Yeah, yeah. Right. something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I think there was like, there's a picture of Frank Ifield on a stage. So there it is, right. you know, proof. <laughs> it's so, it's so the slimy. The kids will buy it. They're all saying Jolly's what anyways. <laughs> right, Jolly what? Oh, I met a girl in a border town. I vowed we'd never part Though I tried my best to settle down She's now alone Then they put out an EP, because EPs were big in Britain, why not? They weren't big in America, but everyone's trying EPs out at least once. Souvenir of their visit to America came out in March on VJ. Uh, Misery, Taste of Honey. I love that they start with misery. (laughs) (laughs) Souvenir of their visit to America. Misery. (laughs) Ask me why. (laughs) It's really funny. Never thought of it like that. That's great. (laughs) They put out some more singles. They put out Do You Want to Know a Secret as a single, uh, which reached number two in Billboard. 77 WABC. Whoopee. You'll never know how much I really yeah, so VJ's just cranking out this material. Hear the Beatles Tell All LP. It's an interview album that came out in September of 64. And that's the reason we have the Beatles story. Right. <laughs> it's because VJ put out an interview album and they couldn't do anything about that. And is that what you've got it right there? This is, but this is, again, I think another fake of uh, Hear the Beatles Tell All. Still, you've got a copy of that. Yeah. I don't care, man. And it's in stereo. Yeah, and it's <laughs> in it stereo. Um, yeah, it's it's almost better than Beatles Story in that it's just more efficient. It's not a double album. It's a single album. Not a double album. Um, but there's some great interviews. What's the guy's name? It's uh, uh, Jim Stack. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, it's Jim Stack and Dave Hull do the interviews. Have you had a chance to listen to uh, America's commercial radio at all since you've been here in Los Angeles? We do nothing else all day. What exactly do you think of, uh, of our commercial radio as opposed to the type of radio that you're accustomed to in England? Well, it's great, but they've just started a couple in Britain now, pilot ships, they call them. Watch your 
VJ did put out a double album called The Beatles Versus the Four Seasons, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which had like a scorecard on it. Ringo kicked Frankie Valley's ass. Do you hear how high pitched that guy is? Sing like a man. Walk like a man. Talk like a man, my son. Yeah, and all that was was introducing the Beatles, shoved into another LP yeah. sleeve with uh, the golden hits of the Four Seasons. That charted, too, by the way. That got up to 142 on the charts. That was in October of 1964. And then, as mentioned, the record you have, TJ, Songs, Pictures, and Stories of the Fabulous Beatles, yet another repackaging of Introducing the Beatles, just with a different cover. Tony, that reached 63 on Billboard. Which one? Songs, Pictures, and Stories. Oh, yes. 63 on Billboard. What, 79 in Record World uh-huh. and 100 in Cashbox? That's right. <laughs> Trifecta charts. charts. But yeah, so I mean, these things, the fact that uh, this is what, the fourth time it had been repackaged and it reached the top 70 on Billboard, it reached 63. People were so hungry for this, so it explains why. And no, unlike Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, nobody freaked out at Capitol when this only made, what, 43, right? No, the, the, yeah. This was not cause for panic. Now it's one of the reasons Beatles VI was rushed so quickly, um, <laughs> because they wanted to get a number one album in there. <laughs> again, <laughs> A number I album out. <laughs> I can't read your mind. I Well, Capitol finally got control of all those songs uh, October 15th of 1964. They almost put out a best of album in time for the holidays at the end of 64, but we got Beatles uh, 65 instead. And it was going to be a double album, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Best of the Beatles, they were going to call it. Parentheses, fuck you, Pete Best. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that. Capitol was saying that. (laughs) Right. Well, instead, they put out the early Beatles, as mentioned, in March of 1965. And uh, yeah, this is the first album release in 1965 of Beatles material in the United States. They did not promote it, and I think that's why it only reached number 43. They were just trying to have people stop buying Introducing the Beatles and get some money in their pockets. And Tony, the way they frame it, 11 of their 1964 American hit recordings now on Capitol. What's there's something about? I got to read the back to you. If yeah, I may. please do. Early birds all over the United States, millions of them, got the bug for the Beatles in the first weeks of 1964. The 11 great songs in this album were among those that launched the Beatles. They appeared then on another record label. They appear now for the first time on Capitol. Added with pride and pleasure to the fine capital treasury of Beatles recordings, which together constitute an unprecedented phenomenon of entertainment history. They decided to call this the early Beatles. Other titles in the running were Sorry, with an exclamation point. Golly, we were dumb not to distribute this group earlier. And Hey America... We made a royal boner. <laughs> Insert boner SFX here. 
<laughs> Remember though when Boner was like it meant like blooper or whatever? Like if you you could go to the record store and you can buy those records that are like newscaster bloopers. But it'd be like foul ups, bloops, and and boners. <laughs> we'll switch you to the 16th tee, where we will show you in slow motion Arnold Palmer, U.S. Opium champion. I blew it. Well, uh, as as mentioned, the front cover is really just the back cover of Beatles for Sale, that Robert Freeman uh, photograph taken in Hyde Park. Hyde Park, Chicago, comes from simple beginnings. Founded in 1850. No, Hyde Park, London, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, wait, you mean George wasn't applying to U of C? No. <laughs> yeah. Ringo went to hairdressing school at U of C, I think. <laughs> it's all little old ladies. <laughs> but there's no pictures on the back. There's very little on the back. You read all the texts. All you get is the uh, other Beatles records on Capitol and then the track listing. Uh, it's a striking cover, the red and the blue. And, oh, do you know what font this is? I was hoping you would tell me this font. Welcome to Font Lover's Corner. Today's font in question. Couldn't find it, man. I couldn't find it. No, I don't know what this so font is. So you quit? Man, I spent fucking at least 15 minutes trying to track down the goddamn font on Beatles for Sale, and I could not do it. Same with uh, Beatles 65, too. I came up with one that basically looks like it, but it was... Thank you for visiting Font Lover's Corner. Fonts, fonts. Love those fonts. Yeah, I don't know what font, but do you like the font, TJ? Well, I've always, I, I found, I, I like into the context of the cover. I found it striking that it's the red and blue, the early Beatles, and then you see these songs in brown that look familiar. And then these faces are so far from the early Beatles because even though they're not smiling on Meet the Beatles, it at least feels more organized and presentational. This feels like ramshackle in a, in a field or in a park um, with the Beatles looking exhausted and sullen, which fit for the back cover of Beatles for Sale. So it's an interesting juxtaposition to see the early Beatles and then you see them in current day. It's just interesting to me how much they change is just short amount of time, Tony. Yeah. Their hair got longer. Their faces got slightly more sullen. And uh, yeah, it looks like they're about to uh, head out to the pumpkin patch on a hayride. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we got to go back in time for the Bears game. <laughs> it's a noon kickoff. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Should we just go track by track here? Not interested. <laughs> let's Should we deep dish it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I mean, it makes sense. They're going to start off with uh, "Love Me Do." I read that long spiel, whether it makes the show or not, is because the way Capital treated this, no promotion, um, not really caring that it didn't chart, it's still certainly sold. It's it's a bloody Beatles, it's sold. Well, shut up. This is saying we now own all the Beatles stuff. Hey, everybody, Capital is your exclusive home for the Beatles, is what this is basically, this album's existence was trying to say. And in the process, it it's it comes across opening with Love Me Do. Now it's also it's the uh, Andy White and Ringo version. 
Yes, Ringo on tambourine. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that should be noted, there is a mono version of this record, which is the stereo mixes just folded down into mono. So the EMI mixes that George Martin made in mono are not on this record whatsoever. Right. It's interesting. The first time those were seen in the States were on the 87 CDs. Kind of like we talked about in the 1982 episode, this this song still has like, you know, uh, a 50s hangover about it. There's something that's still in the 50s about it to me. Yeah, I think the harmonica, it's got that very kind of the the John exploring the kind of hey baby harmonica type stuff. To mm-hmm. me this to me this feels very stuck in 1962. This is you're right, kind of 50s hangover. Like 62 is among the You know, the 50s ended when the Beatles came to use our 80s analogy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I hope the 2020s never end. Best decade so far and <laughs> I mean just across. It's just it's been a real good start. Yeah, yeah, it keeps getting better. Yeah, getting better can't get no worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's a it's a fitting opener. In Paul's lyric book, he uh, he has this song and please please me listed in there, and uh, yeah, he said it was composed at his house, Twenty Fourth Lynn Road. John came up with this riff, the little harmonica riff. There's nothing to it. It's a Will o' the Wisp song. Speaking of uh, p- p- pumpkin time. A ride. <laughs> Speaking of jolly what? <laughs> <laughs> but he says there's a, a terrific sense of longing in the bridge, which combined with the harmonica touches the soul in some way. And I agree. When you hear Love Me Do, you just think of that like the, the opening bit. But when you get to the bridge, the song does a little something there. Bridge, best part of the song. was in their set for a while um they kind of stopped playing this though by the summer of 64 and it was actually it was never played in the u.s yeah but brian adams summer of 69's on car speakers everywhere on the summer's home for 80s rock the untitled beatles podcast k-u-b-p i got my first real fuck off why are we K? Are we west of the Mississippi? We're uh, we're broadcasting from West Des Moines. Oh, okay. from the West Valley Mall, clear to the Merle Hay Mall. I just had lunch in Des Moines. I went to Fong's Pizza. Oh, and really? I, uh, yeah, and I had lunch. Uh, I had lunch there. I had a slice of like uh, it was pizza had mushrooms, like red peppers, and uh, uh, Thai peanut sauce on it. It was yummy. If we're plugging Des Moines area restaurants, my favorite <laughs> burger in the world to oh, this yeah. day, if I had to rank my burgers, is the uh, the Maytag burger at the Drake Diner. Man, next time I'm going to do that. At Kenny Rogers Roasters, we want you to be healthy. Teacher says we must eat healthy. Kenny Rogers Roasters, less fat, less salt, less calories. We did stop playing it around 1964, but it does come back up again uh, in Revolution 1, take 18. Paul starts singing a little bit of Love Me Do about like seven and a half minutes in. Yeah. (laughs) 
In the two hole, man, we've got like a heavy hitter, twist and shout. Where do you? I actually like this in the two hole. I think it really works. What do you think? I think it's great because it goes from their first hit to the closing song of their first official album, which is kind of neat. That that's here in the two hole here. And, you know, it's maybe one of John Lennon's three best vocal takes ever recorded. Um, I think it's great here. It's it's a, a pot boiler that comes after a nod to their history. Like, let yeah. me use perfect opening. This is a great way to capture the spirit of Beatlemania um, in that two hole. I love it. Yeah. Famously, it was uh, take one that was used. They did do a full take two. I feel like I've never heard that. Have Have we heard that? I don't I don't know if I have. I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. Now what I find curious is because we've got that tape where you hear like there's a place take seven and misery take nine or whatever it is. Yeah. Why don't we have Twist and Shout take two? Uh, we would love to hear that. We I I mean the understanding is that uh John's voice was gone yeah. by that take. It would just be interesting to hear a full take of him with his voice just out. I I think. Well, th- yes, and there were be- there were differences to that take too, right? That take was in three four. That take <laughs> they did it in C, if you remember. Um, uh, R- Ringo played the walls. It was the first time he played walls before. Remember, that's like <laughs> it's a story take. Wait, Ringo had an advanced copy of Pink Floyd's <laughs> The Wall, and he played. <laughs> Ringo didn't need no education in the Dingle. <laughs> Some other fun facts. Did you know he took his shirt off for this? He's shirtless for this. I didn't he's know like that. In the, he's in the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> for this. He's in the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> or the bleachers at Wrigley Field. <laughs> doing a 13-4 yeah. blowout. Because if they're the real Chicago fucking fans, they can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and print it. Print it, print it. His throat is coated in zoobs, mm. cough drops, and milk. I guess he down some milk before this but it's it is it is perfectly imperfect the way his voice cracks in the right places it gives it that raw edge that makes the beatles this song this performance it's got to be in the top 10 maybe top five like rock and roll moments ever you know it's got to be oh no question and it's also as we've talked about in the beatle cover show before i think uh is one of the Love, loved the um, Isley Brothers, but this cover best betters the original. Yeah. This is a cover that has more energy than the the Isley Brothers original is great, and it's got a great groove, and it's got a great gait, but this song rips the roof off the Beatles cover of this thing. The rare instance where the cover is, this is, I think, the best version of this song. Yeah, I think it's this and maybe a wet, wet, wet with a little help from my friends. (laughs) My friends. My friends. As we've talked about, Tony, um, uh, this song uh, was used, obviously, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and also in Rodney Dangerfield saying it in Back to School. 
Oh, did he? Yeah. Like before doing a backflip in the <laughs> swimming pool or whatever <laughs> the fuck? It's like he, he performs it, and it's it's funny, and like the, 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 the tune's pretty, uh, it sounds a little like the original. Ah! Shake it up, baby! Twist and shout. Come on, come on, come on, baby. Come on, now work it all out. Yeah, so Capitol did two things. They put a hype sticker on copies of this in 86, the last pressing, that said, uh, like a pink and red, or it was like reddish pink hype sticker that says, includes Twist and Shout, was on That's so funny, uh, the, the, the cover of this. And they issued Twist and Shout as a single for the first time since the 60s. So this hadn't been in print since maybe 65 on that Capitol Starline label. But right. after that, Capital didn't put this out. There was never like a blue star line of Twist and Shout. There was never an orange Capital Twist and Shout. In 86, no. they issued Twist and Shout, but there's a place on the Rainbow Capital, and it charted. The Beatles had a chart, a top 25 <laughs> hit in 1986. It's crazy. This song might have done better than Press. <laughs> <laughs> And last thing for you here, you know, Paul was pissed that they used horns in the Ferris Bueller Twist and Shout. He made the comment at the time about, like, if we wanted horns, we would have put him in there. (laughs) I get that. Yeah, man. Twist and Shout. Naked. Well, half naked. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) the original. You become naked. Yeah. It's cool, especially at the end of the song, you get to hear Paul in the background, his shouting that they made it through it. You know, it's almost like you do on stage, like you do on stage. But also you can hear Lennon's like there's this sigh of like exhaustion slash pain of getting through all that, too. I mean, that's the moment. That's the real. That's the fucking sweat or whatever. You know, that's that's the sweat. It's it's real. It's it's fucking whatever you want to say about. The Beatles, a lot of people always say that they're lightweights or whatever. They weren't, man. They weren't. Well, after all that, man, we need a cool down. So we get a nice Arthur Alexander cover of Anna, go to him. Though they never say go to him. They always say go with him, right? Go with him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both versions, the original Arthur Alexander version and the uh, the Beatles version, which stays very true to the original. Yeah, they loved this guy, Arthur Alexander. And I get it. He wasn't as big as Chuck Berry or um, Elvis, you know, all those other guys they were covering back Ray then. Ray Charles, yeah. But uh, they had a real connection with this guy. And I think it was because of Arthur Alexander's soulful delivery, things that really got there. And I think John taps into that, especially on this song. This is one of my favorite early covers, I should say. I don't have a lot of them. This is one of them. Just one more thing, girl. You give back your ring to me. Set you free, go with him. Go with him. You can 
and the harmonies are so great. And even the way Ringo's cymbal trill kind of fades off in the decay of the song after that last go with him harmony, you hear just the kind of Ringo's, the end of what he's doing on the cymbal is so is something I always think of when I hear this. It's such a small cool. moment. Um, yeah, this is a great cover. This one also, because the Arthur Alexander Tony is a piano-driven one. Right. They do all those licks on guitar here in a different key. And I think this is another one that's improved. Hearing the licks on guitar in a kind of a, a brighter key or a more soulful key, I would say, uh, improves upon the song. And I love how they love Arthur Alexander. What are the other ones? They did Soldier of Love. I mean, not officially mm-hmm. released, but Soldier of Love from the BBC. Lay down your Out of rhythm and blues. Every song you hear on this uh, early Beatles record, Ringo is not playing his Ludwig kit. Right. He's playing a premiere kit, uh, a 1960 premiere mahogany colored duroplastic kit. Hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, so that's what he was using on all these all these songs. And great drumming, Tony. Some of the uh, some of his best drumming is on this record. It's not tentative. It's good. You know, for for someone making their major label uh, debut of an album recording in one day, like his playing is it's it's so great on this record. Yeah. Well, he's. I think he still had something to prove. You know, to George yeah. Martin after he brought Andy White in for the September eleventh. Uh, Love Me Do session. Yeah. You know, Ringo had done it on September 4th. And for whatever reason, they, you know, George brought in, I, I read in the Lewison book, it was because maybe on September 4th, Ringo was like playing the cymbals with maracas or something. And it seemed like he was, you know, trying to do too much yeah. or something. And he was auditioning for Santana at the time. <laughs> I'm Ringo, and I play the drums. This song, too, was part of that February 11th, 1963 session. This is the evening session. Took three takes, all live. There's no overdubs. And this song was featured in an episode of Married with Children. Really? Uh, yeah, Al Bundy went to this record shop <laughs> with Peg. Go with him. Never heard of it. Oh, hey, TJ, I got something for you. Yeah. Shall we take a little trip, TJ, to Collector Scum Corner? Scum. Yes. (laughs) All right, man. So VJ printed up test copies of a promo DJ copy of Anna on the A-side with Ask Me Why on the flip. And it was called Spec DJ Number 8. And only four copies are known to exist of this record. It's like one of the rarest Beatle records ever. Scum. Why is that scum? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. 
You're actually right. Uh, you're right. That sounds cool as hell. <laughs> Here's how that would be scum if someone had all four of them. That would be collector scum. Oh, God. Uh, dude, around the Chicago area, at least, I keep hearing on like XRT and I keep seeing on my Facebook feed like Ann Wilson of Heart joins the Jim Ursay experience. At, like, apparently. I don't even know what that means, man. <laughs> Who's Jim Ursay? Hey, are you ready for some football? I'm Brand Darkington. You are an embarrassment, Jim Mercy, to the legacy and history of this league. This owner is the son of Bob Ursay. In 1984, his father, in the middle of the night, without telling anybody, he loads up all the equipment of the Baltimore Colts, the proud franchise of Baltimore. They moved that franchise to Indianapolis, away from the great fans of Baltimore. Shame on you. <laughs> Yes. So uh, am, apparently this guy is like, uh, is in a, he's like one of those billionaires in a band and he put a band together and he's got Am Wilson of hearts and like, oh, and I guess the owner like, of the Knicks oh. has one of those two. And it's like, Oh, wait, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. So Are I'm you trying, trying to, to tell, tell me that like insane rich people, billionaires or whatever are creating like all-star bands to just play for them at their whim in their little, like, home theaters at or At their whim. Steve Wynn reference for you there. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. Next up, it's a Goffin King song, Chains. Chains, my baby's got me locked up in chains. I have my silly opinions about uh, Beatle covers. This one does not rank high, and that's my my little opinion. I don't know. What do you think of this song? It's probably my number two or three favorite overall Beatles song. <laughs> so again, agree to disagree. I love I the weird uh, the weird uh, sound problem in the the in the bridge where the sound gets a little weird. <laughs> Right? There's some chatter before the second bridge, right? George talking, I think, yeah. Please believe me when I tell you Your lips are sweet I'd like to kiss them But I can't break away from all of these chains My baby it was uh, another song to be recorded that same day, the marathon 12 and a half hour session. It took four takes, but they used take one, which is probably why that chatter made it in there. It's their first run through of it. Yeah. It was probably an audio cue that we're going to the goddamn bridge, maybe. Yeah. He's probably calling, because that's what it is. He's probably calling out what's about to happen, which would make sense. They do that on stage. So they just yeah. call, they just calling out what's up. We're now, we should mention, we're now in the same order of the. Um, tracks three four and five i think and six of the please please me album we're now yeah. um now we're back in order so the first two songs have been swapped of course um i saw standing there which is the first track on please please me was already issued both on meet the beatles and as the b-side of i want to hold your hand so that couldn't yeah. go on here and uh you're probably not going to open an album with misery so capital threw misery away until 1980 <laughs> yeah man <laughs> 
Yeah, so two weird. songs got the heave ho for like 15 years, man. <laughs> so silly. So funny. Um, should we move on to uh, boys? Hey, <laughs> we are, we ought to. Boys is the next song. Ringo, Ringo gets a lead vocal. Again, this is another one take wonder. We all talk about Twist and Shout. No one's talking about boys. Also, Twist and Shout got two takes. But uh, this one, they just did the one, man. I love hearing Paul screaming throughout this song and that he's howling. Yeah. Whooping it up. It's really fun, man. It's cool. It's like, it's like, oh, finally, maybe we get, this is what the Hamburg bit was all about. Yes. You know? I was just going to say that. This is the energy of it. And Ringo's accomplishment of pulling the song off, scream, singing while keeping the beat is great. This is not Ringo overdumbing, uh, Ringo no. overdumbing like caveman. <laughs> suck, suck. <laughs> suck, suck. Bobo. 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 So what makes this album so great. The whole thing's got a live feel to it. No other Beatles album sounds this live. Totally. Yeah. They got close to it with uh, Beatles for Sale slash Beatles 65 slash Beatles VI parts. Uh, oh, you got me saying VI now. Yeah, <laughs> it's worked. It's part God of a Dave it. Dexter conspiracy. <laughs> Dave Dexter Jr., the Robin Hood of serial killers of music. Did you ever go in? The- <laughs> it took me a minute to catch up to that. I was running behind it. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. think it's it, just to get a little serious here for a minute. I think it is actually cool as hell that the Beatles had a huge song in their early stage performance and on their first album that's their guy drummer singing a song called Boys in terms of shattering gender expectations and gender norms and all that. I think it's it's really cool and Mick Jagger was certainly doing it at the same time with that that sexualized flaunting around Mm -hmm. could be interpreted in another way and of course then Bowie later um, yeah, or even with long hair, you know, yes. the whole thing back then was like, can't tell the girls from the boys, you know, and they were thumbing their nose at that, you know, with long hair. Deal with it, man. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to get like nuts and say that the Beatles were like gay icons, but I think it's cool <laughs> that they were part of a movement to make that something that didn't seem uh, hetero normal on an album that millions of people own. It's kind of neat. So what you're saying, TJ, is that John is Dorothy... Paul's the Tin Man. I guess Ringo's the Lion, right? He's the mayor of Munchkinland. (laughs) 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 We welcome you to Munchkinland. (laughs) It's my Ringo. (laughs) Yes, I've played Wizard of Oz on piano before, so I can do the songs. (laughs) And George is the Scarecrow. (laughs) 
Yes, <laughs> George. George is the scarecrow. Paul is Dorothy. Maybe Paul's Dorothy. I don't know. Uh, the thing about the heart. The, the thing about uh, that's hard about the Tin Man is he doesn't have a heart, and it's like all the Beatles had a heart. So I don't know. Okay, then let's do this different game. Paul is Dorothy. George is Rose. Uh, John is Sophia. <laughs> Who's the other one? Mo. John is Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Rue McClanahan? John might be Rue McClanahan. I think John's Rue McClanahan because he's so sassy. Yeah. Blanche. Blanche. Thank you. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How did that happen? The Beatles has Golden Girls. Dude. All right. All right. Let's I know. keep going. We gotta, we gotta go. go. I know. Closing side one is Ask Me Why. We've talked about this song a little bit before. It was on our uh, B-Sides episode, I believe. What a cool song, though, don't you think? Like, the structure of this song is really interesting. It's unique. The, the verses are 13 bars, so that's funny to begin with. Now you're mine. I, 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 I. My happiness to makes me cry. And in Bridges are a nice eight, but then it goes back into what you think is the verse again, but it ends up being this refrain that resolves. It's just a really cool song. It's it, it's totally underrated. I think I, I put it in the underrated category. Yeah, I think that the reason it's underrated is because it is sophisticated, and it's a lot more sophisticated than some of the early songs. Uh, I love what Ringo's doing drumming-wise in this. It, uh, it's it kind of the drum has a couple different patterns. Tony, I think it's a really neat song. Yeah, they they played it live for just a short time, man. It dropped out of their set by early 1963, so they were only playing it for a few months. And uh, I just find it to be just kind of an obscure secret gem from their early catalog. Hey, I I, I get that. It's hard to find a Beatle deep track. I mean, there's probably 10 Beatles deep tracks at this point, given how ubiquitous their catalog is, or at least 10 non-novelty ones, you know, if you don't want to count the Revolution number nines and the You Know My Names of the World. But like, you know, what's left? Rain, Hey Bulldog, even those are, are more known now than oh, they yeah. were 20 years ago. Ask me why, I'll say I love you, and I'm always thinking of you, you. you. Let's flip the record, flip the tape, if you've got that 1992... <laughs> Apple cassette of early Beatles. When you flip, side one ends with, do you want to know a secret? Side two begins with, love me do. Oh, well, don't flip the tape. We already talked about (laughs) love me do. Flip the record. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, you get please, please me. This is my friend. I know this guy, TJ. He does this like weird Beatles podcast where they talk too long and go off on these weird tangents about the 80s. It's and, weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird, man. It's weird, man. No, but uh, this is his favorite Beatles song. 
Isn't that I, wild? I just think nothing captures the energy of, of the Beatles more than this song. I think it's their most energetic, most uh, melodically adventurous early song. And I'm just, I'm captivated by those chord changes. I always have been. And uh, yeah, it feels, I mean, it's certainly big as a side closer on side one of the Please Please Me album, but I love it as a side opener on side two. It almost makes more sense. It's so much better. Ask Me Why kind of leaves you hanging a little bit, and then you complete it with that song's A-side. It's a wonderful moment, especially on vinyl. Yeah, WLS played this on the radio apparently February 8th, 1963, I believe, is the first time Beatles music was heard on the radio. It was requested by a 16-year-old girl from uh, Silver Springs, Maryland, (laughs) oddly enough. Silver Spring, TJ, there's just one spring. I'm so, to, to our Maryland market, I'm so sorry. I'll be at the Maryland Hy-Vee in Baltimore next Friday with the Untitled Beatles podcast, Supermarket Remote. This summer, follow us in your favorite market. Here's a curious quote from Paul's lyrics book that came out last year uh, regarding this song. John liked the double meaning of please. Please have intercourse with me. So... Pretty please, have intercourse with me. I beg you to have intercourse with me. <laughs> You've mentioned this before that this song, I mean, it's about, it's basically, it's about hooking up. It's about sex. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the Beatles get this reputation as like, oh, the Stones were sex. The Beatles were like mom and dad or whatever. And it's like their second single, which went to number one, asterisk, like in the UK, asterisk. <laughs> you know, it's 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 basically saying like, please, please me, like get me to the, get me there. Let's have fun. Like I please you. Like like I please you, right? Yeah. And it's funny that it's a man singing this to a woman, and usually it's the other way around. But hey, you know, then maybe it's more of that gender fun they were having. Yeah, that's John showing vulnerability through his begging. Uh, in the lyric of this, he also, I know what's, is it a, uh, Disney song? John always say, you know, he, he liked the notion of please let me he- listen to your please. Mm-hmm. He loved wordplay and that was that. And I love wordplay. And I think that's a huge factor as to why I love the Beatles. Um, you know, having grown up on a farm, I love turd play. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. So I would, I would just throw cow patties at myself <laughs> That's why I'm so good at the discus. <laughs> People still do discus. Well, they call it froth, TJ, frisbee golf, as you know. <laughs> froth, underrated Muppet. <laughs> football. Oh, football has been called. Interesting. Look where my mark is, though, bro. Uh, they use the stereo mix, uh, which is a composite of takes 16, 17, and 18, 
Uh, those takes did not feature a harmonica, and that's why there's that weird situation that happens, especially at the end of the song when it sounds like there's two songs going yeah, on. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like the uh, <laughs> rinse the raindrops. <laughs> it's most most people think rinse the raindrops is solo Paul's please please me. <laughs> The last time it was played live was for that special, that uh, Around the Beatles. Yes. Full disclosure, I've never seen that. Um, maybe it's on YouTube and I can just watch it. But it was a British TV show. They reference it and get back all the time because yep. of the, the stage setting and all that. But uh, I feel like that should get a proper release. I would love to see a proper release of Around the Beatles. Yeah, it's it's weird that that hasn't surfaced yet. Yeah, right? But it's also weird that we haven't seen a cleaned up uh, Budokan. That too. Right. There's a lot of shit out there. Or even that Australian concert we did an episode In Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there that could be... I want to see, what do you call it? Shea Stadium. Put that out. Like, raw. You know what I mean? Not the Ron Howard thing. Just raw. Sigourney Weaver talks, I'll be back. (laughs) The Arnold Schwarzenegger line. (laughs) I'll be back. Next track up is P.S. I Love You. Mostly a Paul song, I'm pretty sure. Uh, This is Andy White on percussion. Yeah. Because they say he played bongos. I don't know. To me, that sounds like the the rim shot of a snare drum. That's what it's like. Like a knock. Beat. Yeah. Yeah, right? As I write this letter, send my love to you. Remember was inspired by uh, letter songs. Soldier Boy, Pat Boone's I'll Be Home. So darling, as I write this letter. But Paul claims it's not based in reality. And it was not about any girlfriend or anything like that. He was just writing a, a letter song. He was doing his Brill Building bit. It's uh, not one of my favorite early Paul songs. I feel like Paul's still doing kind of Decca audition crooning. Mm. At this point, and that's not mm. my favorite Paul vocal styling. I think his voice matured a ton between the Decca auditions uh, and in early '62 and the recording of this in '63. Yes, I love you. I agree with you, TJ. That said, I still think it's better than if they had to do How Do You Do It, the song that George Martin wanted them to do and put out as the A-side that was, you know, it was a little too lightweight for Liverpool. Yeah, and it's one of the only numbers on record you can hear John smiling through his teeth. How do you do what you do to me? I wish I knew. Next up is a, a song that I always file under. I always forget this song exists. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the song was a single from Live at the BBC, not this take. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, Baby, it's you. It's uh-huh. a, a yet another Shirelles cover. It's not the way you smile that touched my heart. 
It's not the way you kiss that tears me apart Oh, many, many, many nights go by They did it in three takes. It was take three. That was the master. And then later, George Martin overdubs a, a Celeste on there. She was not pleased. <laughs> she wasn't He also overdubbed a piano, but uh, nothing of that was ever used. So there was a discarded piano overdub on this record. A real Beatles sniffer would look for the isolated George Martin <laughs> piano part on Baby It's You. Uh, yeah, this song is not my favorite cover, too. I like the version of Live at the BBC with the whole sha-la-la-la um, radio interview beforehand is kind of cute. Yeah. But, I mean... D- you know, to your point, like there are better early John songs, certainly live takes to release. Uh, the 45 of this, I don't know if it charted from Live at the BBC. Was that 94? Yes. Live at the BBC yeah, was 1994. That is 90. I remember that. I don't know if it charted or not, but there is a 45 somewhere of the live uh, version of this from the BBC. I thought this next number was called Sha La 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 La. Ah, but in fact, baby, it's you. We get another cover. To me, this is the spookiest song on the album, A Taste of Honey. Uh, you know, when this first came out, actually, when I first heard this, I, f- I didn't like it. I found it very distasteful, and it was because I thought they were saying A Taste of Heine. And, you know, I was young, and I, I hadn't opened my mind up to <laughs> sensual situations. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Wake up, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is so stupid, but yeah, I have this is out of their early covers. I like this one more than others. Tony, I what thought it think? was a taste of Heinemann's, the great Chicago bakery. <laughs> <laughs> why, why didn't they ever use that for an ad campaign on Channel 50? <laughs> yeah, never one of my favorites. This is a cover of a song from a from a, a musical. I don't know what the musical is, or from a movie. What do you know what it is? Yeah, it was called A Taste of Honey, and it was on Broadway uh, starring Angela Lansbury and Billy D. Williams. Wow. Sorry, Angela Lansbury as Billy D. Williams? As Billy D. Williams, <laughs> as Lando Calrussian. <laughs> Swigging Colt 45. That was the honey. It was all a big ad for Colt 45 malt liquor. And then Billy D. Williams tasted Angela Lansbury's honey, and it was murder, she wrote. A taste of honey Tasting much sweeter Than wine I dream Of your First kiss And then I feel Upon my lips Again A taste of honey So, yeah, so the verse is in 3-4, and the bridge is in 4-4. Four, four. 
got Ringo on brushes. I, I, I guess you know what it is. I always like this song because maybe it has like a minor key thing going on. As far as their very early covers go, I, I like this one. Yeah, this one, I think, benefits from some of the weird stereo. This is another one where the stereo makes it so primitive that it helps give the song kind of an ethereal moment. This is stereo over mono taste of honey for me. <laughs> I'll give you that, man. Yeah. yeah. And it's the only uh, example of double tracking. Paul double tracks his uh, vocal on this. On the bridge, the I will return part. Yeah. 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 The, the, the four four stuff. This was famously recorded on the big day, the 12 and a half hour session, February 11th, 1963. Uh, Lennon is starting to lose his voice. This is the afternoon session. You can kind of hear it in his uh, backing vocals. In those harmonies. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like he says a, a taste of honey. That taste of honey. <laughs> a taste of honey. He's getting stuffed up. He's going to need those zoobs. Yeah. But that's cool. It's just another human moment in the the Beatles uh, catalog. And I love how it uh, resolves on a major chord. It's a cool song, man. The guys who wrote it, Rick Marlowe, he did the lyrics. He was like an actor, like a bit player. He was on Bonanza, Sea Hunt, Hawaii Five-O, Magnum P.I. Might have even been on Murder, She Wrote. You never know. The other guy who wrote it was a uh, musical prodigy by the name of Bobby Scott, who uh, he turned pro at like age 11 and uh, wrote many, many songs. All these guys went on to do things, man. But yeah, yeah. Taste of Honey. I don't think we've talked about that song. So we, we're giving it some, some what do they call it? Lip service. You, you brought up my favorite part of that, which is the major key resolution at the end and uh, seemingly out of nowhere. And you- And then it closes with uh, George now closing two U.S. albums in a row because he closes uh, Beatles 65 with Everybody Wants to Be My Baby. Yeah, which was supposed to be Circles, and they swapped out at the last minute. (laughs) (laughs) Do You Want to Know a Secret? Written by John, based on a song that his mother Julia would sing to him as a child. So in theory, Julia Lennon Estate should get some royalties on this. However... She was singing a song from a Disney thing called uh, I'm Wishing. It was like the intro to this song, I'm Wishing, from uh, the Seven Dwarves thing. Yeah. It's no way. Want to know a secret? Promise not to tell. We are standing by a wishing well. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cute little song. This, to me, I, it's, it's, I, I don't hate this song. I don't dislike it either uh, it's it's a children's song to me listen do you want to know a secret do you promise not to tell whoa, whoa closer let me whisper in your ear say the words you long to hear i'm in love with you i love the song i mean i know it's simple and lightweight but having again another beetle thing this is a song that i think only george or ringo could have conveyed on record or probably would have been discarded i mean this song has a novelty kind of feel to it that i think george delivers with his kind of faux cheeriness hashtag cheer down george delivery (laughs) 
You know, and it's funny because in the States, I mean, unless you had the VJ albums, your your intro to George was Don't Bother Me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Which is a great song, but great it's just very song. different. Yeah. Very different. I'll take Don't Bother Me over this one. But Me too. Uh, the arrangement's great. Those oohs are kind of ethereal and stereo too. This whole album has has just, a, it's, something's not quite, it's not 60s perfectly mixed. It's got, it's raw, it's liver. I've known a secret for the week or two Nobody knows, just we two Before we wrap this, Tony, let's talk. So this album came out, like you mentioned, March 22nd of 65. Uh, Going on concurrently, the month before this came out was eight days a week. And... Uh, a few weeks after was Yes It Is back uh, and, and Ticket to Ride. So right. why did I give Yes It Is the A-side? <laughs> Ticket to Ride. Uh, Better just, song. <laughs> um, but so it's it's interesting. This album is so different. It feels a world removed from Ticket to Ride. It does. And yet it came out about five, six weeks earlier. That's one of the, the cool, weird, quirky moments in the Beatles' capital treasury of recorded masters. I love it so much. Yeah, they left off. We mentioned one of them. I forget which one. Misery and uh, there's a place will, would not be released by Capitol until uh, 1980 on the Rarities album. So those were they left them off for some reason. <laughs> they could have put them on. They could have thrown thrown them on Hey Jude. <laughs> yeah, they could have. But yeah, they could have. That You're was right. the point of Hey Jude was kind of to, yeah. to stopgap most stuff that hadn't been on record. Although Hey Jude also famously didn't have Inner Light. So they they right, didn't get get right. everything, um, but yeah. So in the states, did most people not? I mean, if you were a serious Beatle fan, you had the import of "Please Please Me." But did most casual Beatle fans not know there's a place and misery until rarities? That's a good question because rarities was one of the first records I ever bought as someone who was getting into them in the late '80s. So I I knew them early off. I guess it's all who knows now. You just put on "Please Please Me" the LP, the British LP, and you've got it. Yeah. I think we all became just, yeah, used to the new canon that happened in 87 or whatever. Well, new for us. <laughs> Who played canon? <laughs> Is that Robert Duvall? No. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. If you <laughs> have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and we still have another episode to record it. Man, Wait, we got it. It's tight. Dude, you don't want to talk about the TV show canon? No. no, man. I want. <laughs> it's like taking a pee with words. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like the uh, like us on the subscribe uh, f- option, and <laughs> fuck, damn it. Thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to write us a nice review wherever you listen to us on podcasts. Hit that like button. Smoosh that subscribe button. Send us a note. We're also on Discord. Join us on the, the little treehouse that we've got there on Discord. We goof around. We do beetle crap. Uh... <laughs> hey, Siri. <laughs> who played canon? Here's an answer from tvtropes.org. Canon is a CBS detective television series produced by Quinn Martin, which aired from March 26, oh, 1971 to March 3, 1976. Who played him? Yeah, didn't answer the question. Siri sucks. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs>